word, you guys. Get your Bibles out. We are going to be in, in Acts this, this morning. We are finishing up a series called Indwelling. This is part five. We've been unpacking a look at scriptural look at what does it mean for a church to host the presence of God. If you go to our website, you look a little bit at our, at our mission statement, our vision statement, you'll see that phrase in there as a key part of why we exist. We want to be a worshiping family that hosts the Holy Spirit of God. Host means to make a habitation for. We want to do that. We want not just on Sunday morning from 10 to 12, but we just want every time King's Church people come together, whether it's a small group or a family feast or missions or anything else, we just want the Holy Spirit to be taking up his residence and and doing something in powerful ways. So we've been looking at this. Um, And if if you've missed the last several weeks, I want to encourage you to go back to YouTube. The services are are on YouTube. Look for us there, King's Church Lex um, and YouTube, and, and, and go and look at those last several weeks. Uh, the, the story of Scripture is a story of habitation. Beginning in Exodus, God wants to dwell. He wants to make his home in the middle of a people. So he does that. He frees the people from, from captivity in Egypt. He moves them into the land of promise. He gives them a tabernacle. He gives them a wooden, a, a, a wooden uh, you know, an ark that, has, that will contain his presence as a sort of a symbol, you know, an object lesson to be there. And everywhere they go, the presence of the God is in the middle of them. Fast forward some. They, they, they get to graduate away from a cloth tabernacle to a stone temple. And all of a sudden, the temple is there on this hill in Jerusalem. And that's where the presence of God is. And people go in and they worship him. And, and you know, kind of fast forwarding even, even farther into their history, the temple is destroyed because they failed to understand that it's not just about stone. It's actually about being righteous and being a righteous people. So God says, I'm going to let this temple be destroyed, but I'm soon, I'm going to send my presence back in the form of my own son, Jesus. So Jesus comes and the Bible tells us that the fullness of God dwells inside of Jesus. He is the dwelling place of God for that season. It begins to release the spirit onto his disciples at Pentecost. In Pentecost, Acts chapter two, the spirit falls and the Spirit begins to take residence, not just in one individual, one super Christian, one super spiritual one, but in every single human heart that says yes. And in Acts 2, the Spirit falls and it begins just to, to move in power. And Meg looked last week at, at what does it mean for the presence of God to be abiding, to be resting in the believer. To have this constant presence of God every day. We have this abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Every day we can, we can go to bed and the last thing that we're aware of is just the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for, for your presence today. And we can wake up in the morning and the Holy Spirit is there. We can go about our day and the Holy Spirit is right there near to us, speaking into our minds and, and encouraging us and comforting us. And Meg unpacked, I think, seven different things of what the Holy Spirit does when he, when he comes and he abides in us. He encourages us and comforts us and, and even, you know, rebukes us and, and brings us to conviction and repentance. You know, he gives us power for ministry he, you know, and, and these different things here. So we're wrapping up this week looking at not the abiding, not the abiding, not the resting presence of the Holy Spirit, but the manifest presence, this manifest. And this is one of the things I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm passionate about this because I believe that the Lord wants to make these two realities 
just so near to King's Church. He wants us to be a people who are known by the presence of the Holy Spirit on this church and in our families and in our lives. He wants you to live in a reality of the abiding presence. He also wants you to live in a reality of the manifest presence. And for some of us, we're comfortable with one, but not for the other. And part of what we're going to do at Kingdom, at Kingdom Boot Camp is unpack that in greater detail. What happens when those two things are not in balance? What happens when we overemphasize one part of the spirit-filled life to the neglect of another? We get out of balance. So I want to, I want to encourage you to, to come for Kingdom Boot Camp. We're going to look at that a little bit more. Um, her big idea from last week was this. The church that hosts the presence has cultivated an awareness of the presence. That's one secret to hosting the presence of God is that we are aware. Are we even aware that he's here? even aware that, that the Holy Spirit is, is, is with us and in us and resting on us. So we've got to cultivate that kind of awareness, practice that. We practice hearing from the Lord. Where is, where is the Lord? What's he doing? What's he saying to us? Um, so my, my big idea is this. What happens when the, when the when whole lot of wah-wah-wahs in here? Well, slow down. Come on, easily. What happens... When what's abiding within spills out. Say it again. How many W's? One, two, three, four, five. What happens when what's abiding within spills out? Because that's going to happen. It should happen. We like it when that happens. But it comes from within first and then spills out. What happens is, is that the presence becomes manifest, and that's the first line on your sheet. The presence of God in your life, the, the abiding presence becomes manifest. In other words, it becomes, it becomes known, it becomes public, it becomes visible, expressed. Choose whatever you word, word you want. I like the word manifest. When what's abiding within you, and we're going to see this here in, in Scripture, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. Pentecost ends this way, by the way. Acts 2 ends, it's not up on the screen, but I'll read it to you anyway. After Pentecost, here's a summary of, 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 the, of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Sounds like another church I know. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is important because it's going to come up in a few minutes. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So that's how Acts chapter 2 ends. And that's a really awesome summary of, of, the, of the, this life of this community, uh, the life of this early community. And honestly, it's a snapshot of kind of how God wants, you know, his churches to function all throughout history. You know, he wants us to be kind of, he wants us to be in community with one another. You notice how he says that they were in two places. What are the two places where they were gathering? They were in where? The temple. Where else were they? Homes. I think it's important. That's part, of, that's part of my philosophy of ministry is both this large gathering, but also gathering in homes. 
So that's, this is where the, where the disciples were. They were doing that. And we hope in, in the season to come, we're going to be kicking off some small groups here after Kingdom Boot Camp. Some of those will be meeting in homes. We want you to be plugged in and to go deeper in as we grow. The disciples were doing that. They came together for worship with the temple every week, but also they would gather together in homes and they would, have, uh, they would have, have a meal together and they would pray together and they would just sort of live out this life together. I forgot what else I was going to say with that, but it's okay. Okay, so... <laughs> So Acts 3, Acts 3 is the first, it's the first of many big manifestations. And we've seen some really cool things happen at King's Church. But I'm wondering, one day we're going to see like the really big manifestation that's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen one day. I believe that one day we're just going to have something that just all of a sudden galvanizes the attention of our community. I think, I think that the, the Spirit of God is going to begin to bring those kind of things in here. This is, a, this is one of the first sort of really, really big supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. And what's really cool, by the way, this, this is the power of Pentecost, is, the, is that this group of men, this was the same guys, Peter and John, who just a few weeks before were hiding in shame. As Jesus was being arrested, as he was being crucified, these guys were hiding in the shadows. They had no spine. They had no idea what was happening. They just had no, no courage, no understanding of this. And just a few weeks later, all of a sudden, we're going to see something is so totally different. What is the difference? The difference is Acts chapter 2, right? So let's just kind of be, I want to read this together and, and kind of unpack some of this. I want to give you some principles here. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Just like I mentioned, they go to the temple every week. They're, they're, they're still, at this point, they're faithful Jews. They're faithful Jews. They go to the, they go to the temple. They go at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Let's, let's, let's get the context of this. Let's understand what's happening here. Peter and John, they've been here for quite some time. This is not their first time going to the temple. They would be going every day. And the Bible tells us this guy has been sitting here for a long time. He was lame from birth. And he's, he's put at this gate. And the Bible, goes out, the Bible goes out of its way to say that he's been there every single day. And he's begging and he's asking. And this is just, this is his reality. Sits there and he asks for money. And Peter and James are coming in. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. We pray for us. So we're going to unpack this. So, Lord, we just want, 
We want to encounter, Lord, truth. We want to encounter, Lord, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That caused lame men to walk again. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers also. Lord, give us the grace, Lord. Amen. We had a comment, we made a comment last week from Bill Johnson. Meg mentioned this. Bill Johnson says, he says that the Spirit is in me for my sake, but he's upon me for your sake. And that sort of references kind of both this abiding presence. The Spirit abides in me for my sake. The Spirit is my comforter. He's my sanctifier. He's my helper. He's my friend. He abides in me for my sake, but he also rests upon me for your sake. He manifests on me and through me for your sake so that I can minister the grace and the power and the love of Jesus Christ to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to see here. And part of, part, of the, part of the call, too, of hosting the presence is we need to learn to host the presence so that we can release the presence. Part of our calling is to host it, to steward the presence of God in such a way so that we can, it's not just so we can contain it for ourselves, but so that we can really release it to the world around us, release it to our community. I think that's what God wants. He wants to teach us to host, to host the, the, the fire of Pentecost in such a way that we can really release that into the world. So I want to give you some principles of releasing the presence. I've got six of those. You guys got your sheet? Anybody need a sheet, by the way? Anybody missing one? All right, Jackie, do we have more Megan anywhere? Jackie needs one. If anybody needs one or needs a pen, raise your hand and we'll get you one. So these are, these are all the, the, the blanks there on your sheet. These are principles of releasing, releasing the presence from Acts chapter 3. Number one, principle number one is to live in community. It doesn't just say come to church. It says live in community. I like how this begins. Previous chapter that I read to you. It ends with a description of the kingdom community. These folks are together all the time in a unique way. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to be sort of communal. I'm not suggesting that we have to sell all of our property and come and live in here. That would make, that would make the six o'clock news in a weird way, right? We, we don't want that. It's okay. It's okay. You can live in your own house. But the idea is that we really are knit together as a family, that we are united for something. This is more than just two hours on a, on a Sunday morning, that we are living in community. I like it. It, it, it says this, 3-1. How does 3-1 begin? It doesn't say now Peter by himself was going up to the temple. Who was he with? He was with someone else. They were doing this together all the time. Hey, Peter, let's go. It's time for, it's time for prayer. Let's go up to the temple. You know, maybe the next day there's three or four of them. The next day was others. But the point is they were always in this together. And it ends this way. Chapter 4 ends with another description of, of kingdom community. Let me read this to you. Chapter 4 uh, da, 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 says this. All the believers, the end of 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one, one in heart and mind. That's living in community. They were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them at all. Live in community. Now, I really want to push this. I want to push this because it's easy in our culture to just be proximal Christians. 
We are Christians in proximity to one another, but not in community to one another. There's a major difference in those things. You can come and you can sit here, you can sit next to someone, you can get coffee, you can connect with them on Sunday and not ever be in true community. It's very possible. Our, our nation is full of churches just like that, of people that are so lonely when they come to church because they have not found true community. Guys, we cannot allow that to be the case here. We've got to push in with one another and be transparent and vulnerable with one another and invest our lives with one another. I think that's the very first key to, 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 releasing, to releasing the presence, first of all, is that we are a community people, that we are really with one another in this. Here's the second thing. I think the second key from Acts chapter three, not only live in community, number two, cultivate attentiveness. And I'll be honest with you, this is the hardest one for me. I think in all actuality, I probably have some spiritual ADHD. I'm always kind of hopping to the next thing to do. What's the next task to accomplish? And I probably more than, more than anyone else I know struggle with cultivating attentiveness. But I got to tell you, church, it is absolutely critical that we have tuned our hearts in awareness for what's happening. Look at what I mean here. There's, ex, there's external and there's internal awareness. Both of those we need to happen. So these, as I mentioned, Peter and John they would have made this route before. They would have done this before. I bet they would have seen this guy before. But there's something about this situation. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. That's, a, that's kind of... I'm still not 100% sure really what, what the Spirit means by that. He looked, it's, like he, it's almost like he looked intently for the first time. So Peter was, was, was externally aware of the needs, just like you and I can be externally aware when we drive by. You know, we see a need to, to get very obvious, someone on the side of the road who needs money. I'll use that as an example. Our external awareness kicks in, yes, they need money. We need to be aware of those needs. I want us, as we begin to, to move out in power, that we are externally aware of, of the needs around us. You know, who, who just obviously needs a touch from the Lord? Who is sick? Who is, you know, ha has a condition? Who is in a wheelchair? Who has, you know, something on their foot? Who has a, a patch over their eye? That's the external awareness. That's the external awareness. We're just on the lookout. We're on the lookout for what, you know, what, is, what does Jesus want to do? And Peter and John, they were that way too. They were, they were sort of externally aware. But there's this internal awareness, though, that kicks in. Watch this. They looked straight at them, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. And this is, it's harder to cultivate internal awareness in the spirit. It's easier to, to have external awareness, but it's a lot harder to have this internal awareness. And that only comes, honestly, it just comes from, from practicing and from doing it and from listening to the voice of the Lord and being aware. And internal awareness is not just looking at, at what's happening on the outside, but in a spiritual realm, it's saying, okay, what really is happening here and what does the Lord want to do? I'm convinced that that is the key to healing. 
It's knowing what the Lord wants to do in that situation. And I want to deviate just a little bit from this and talk about that because we're going to get into this at, at boot camp. But, but so, much, so much of us, you know, we, we think that healing is sort of, you know, we just kind of get a, a machine gun approach. We just sort of pray every kind of prayer we can think. We say everything, rebuke every kind of demon that we can rebuke. You know, we just hit it all and hope that one of them hits. But in reality, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot more listening and a whole lot less talking. And I'm convinced that's how Jesus walked in the power in his ministry, we know that he laid down his own power. He laid down his own right, laid down all of that. And he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it. And I think the reason he could heal people is because he knew he was so in tune with the Father. He knew exactly what the Father wanted to do to whom and how he wanted to do it. So what if you and I could cultivate this kind of awareness where if you see a need externally and you go to the Father about it and say, Lord, what do you want to do about this? That's, that's internal awareness. And the Lord says, you know what? They've got this kind of condition and, and, and here's the root of it and I want you to do this. How easy is it to do that then? What if, what if we could hear what God wanted to do? How easy would it be to pray for people if we already knew what God wanted to do? That'd be a game changer for me, wouldn't it? If you see somebody and the Lord says, they've got this condition, I want you to go lay hands on them and pray. That's incredible. We'll get into that though. I'm getting ahead of myself. So they've got this internal awareness. They would, they would have seen him before, but something was different now. Something was different now. They've got this now, this internal. I think that different now is what? Y'all, come on. Holy Spirit, come on, Pentecost. That's the difference, you know? They love the Lord. They love Jesus. They, they, have, they have a heart for this guy. They've been going up there day after day after day, probably giving him money out of their pocket. Here you go, buddy. God bless you today. Put it in there. You know, they, and sincere, loving, wanting him to be healed. That's, that was their life. That was the life of many of the other believers. That was it day after day after day, wishing that things could be different. But somehow now they come up. They've got external, they've got external awareness, but they also have this internal awareness. Whole, wait a minute. That power that came on us, what if it could be his? And in a split second, they make a decision. And that decision changes everything. We're going to get to that in number four, but first number three. Cultivate attendance. Number three, practice generosity. Practice generosity. And I, I don't want this point to become about money because that's not what it's about. Isn't it cool that I just gave you a report that we're doing really good on giving? Isn't that awesome? Because I don't have to like worry about you guys misinterpreting what I'm saying. I'm not worried about that. You guys are generous givers. You're practicing it already. Praise God. I think though, this is one of the principles of releasing the presence is that we, we live generous lives where we're willing to give ourselves away. Notice what it says here. Da -da 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 -da. Where are we going? And okay. Look at us, he says. Peter says, look at us. So the guy is like, the guy's probably talking to five people at once. Hey, guys, can y'all give me some change? Hey, lady, can you give me some change? Hey, buddy, do you mind? And he's already moved on from Peter and Paul, or Peter and John. And he's already gone on to somebody else asking for money. And Peter like snaps, says, hey, 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 look at us. And the guy turns his attention back. Ah, 
This guy's thinking to himself, all right, I'm going to get some stuff now. He's got my attention. He's going to, he's going to drop a, a, a handful of drachmas into my, in, into, my, into my container. He says, look at us. Then he says this, the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. You guys ever like not want to make eye contact with people that are panhandling? Right? It's like you don't want to make eye contact because you're afraid. Like you don't want to get their hopes up. Right? It's like, okay, don't look. I don't have any change. I don't have anything. So just kind of keep on going. It's like Peter, Peter went the opposite way. He's like, no, no, no. I want to look in my eyes, dude. And the guy's like, okay, I'm going to get something. He's, then Peter says this. He says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. Ah! Hit the brakes. Beggar's thinking, hold up, dude. I'm confused. You don't have any money but you do have something you're going to give to me. Peter has been practicing generosity. You know why? Because just a few verses before, the Bible tells us that he's already given everything away. He's already emptied himself of silver and gold, and he has nothing left but the power of Pentecost to be poured out. Does that mean that he couldn't have done this if he had silver and gold? No, of course not. That's not at all what I'm saying at all. But I do believe sometimes it's easier to meet the practical needs without the power to address the deeper spiritual, physical needs. In other words, it can become a crutch just to put a $5 bill instead of stopping and saying, you know what, I've got something even better than that. practicing generosity. So he's now he's able to give something of far greater worth. He probably remembered the words of Jesus. Jesus said this to the disciples. He says, freely, freely you have received. Now, freely give. And this early church has now been cultivating this uh, sort of practice of receiving things in and pouring it out, receiving it in and pouring it out. I'm a big Francis Chan. Do you guys like Francis Chan? You know what I'm talking about? I love, he tells a story in, uh, in the book, um, uh, Letters to the Church. He tells a story about being over in, in, in Simi Valley at one of his churches. It's this new, this new church sort of movement that they're starting. He tells a story about how uh, every so often the treasurer would come in and, and announce that they had no money in the bank. Now, we had that conversation a year ago, and that was not a fun conversation because, unfortunately, we had a lot of expenses and no money in the bank. Chan tells a story because the opposite was true for them. They didn't have a lot of expenses. They were keeping it very streamlined, very low-key, and any money that came in, they wanted to give away to, uh, to something else. So it would be a celebration for them every time they had a board meeting to come in and take a screenshot of their bank account that had about $2 in it. practicing generosity. This church has the, bring it in and we just, we give it away for the kingdom. We pour it out for the kingdom. We pour it out for the kingdom. Because I'm willing to bet that if they could not do Acts chapter 2 verse 44, then they would have a harder time doing Acts chapter 3 verse 6. If we can't be faithful to give away the dollars in our pocket, how can we be faithful to give away 
the manifest power of the Holy Spirit. I think they're tied together. I really do. Again, not about tithing. That's not what it's about, I promise. (laughs) But it is about cultivating a lifestyle of generosity, saying, God, all this is yours. All this is yours. I want want to pour it out for you. Whether it's a $5 bill or whether it's a a release of healing in someone's life, I just want to give it away. Practice generosity. Let's keep on going. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I give, I give to you. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth principle is to exercise authority. Exercise authority. Authority is an ugly word. At least it can be. It can be in prophetic churches and prophetic circles. We've all heard that word abused and used a lot. You know, it's up there with like anointing and prophetic and sometimes those have a lot of baggage with them. That's unfortunate because authority is, is a reality in the believer's life. You have kingdom authority. You do. You have as much kingdom authority as I do because you are a child of God with the spirit of sonship. And they practice this. And we proclaim impossible things. How can we proclaim impossible things? Is it because we're delusional? No, it's because we have authority to proclaim impossible things. Jesus has given us authority. We talk about that also in Kingdom Boot Camp. Look at what he says. So he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know what's crazy is that he doesn't, he doesn't pray the prayer, Lord Jesus, if it's your will, please help this young man to feel better, encourage him, give strength doesn't say that. He gives a one-word command. <laughs> How many of us have the faith to have one-word commands for healing? In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. It's because Peter understood his authority. This encounter with Pentecost. And he takes him by the right hand. I love how it says that. He takes him by the right hand. That's, the, that's also the hand of authority. He takes him by the right hand, helps him to his feet. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. I'll be honest about this one as well, too. I need to grow in this area a lot. I'm not as courageous and faithful for myself as I am for you. Do I have the faith and the courage to to, to find random people in the street and just go up to them and begin to command healing for them and take them by the hand? (laughs) Whoo! It's hard to do. I've been a part of it before. I've seen it. But it also, it goes back to this awareness, this awareness of where is God? What is he doing? What does he want to do? To me, that's the the key for me, personally for me. may not be for you, but for me, it's the key. If I can hear what the the Father is saying about a situation, that builds up my faith. Because I know that I have the authority to do it, but I don't want to mishear what God is saying to do. Because sometimes God doesn't tell us to command healing over someone. So we exercise authority. Authority must be acted upon. It is like a sword that is in your pocket. It does no good to just be there. You have to use it. You have to act upon it. 
exercise authority. Number five, fifth key, first principle to releasing the presence is to walk in boldness. Walk in boldness. It takes boldness to do the things that they did. It would have been so easy for them just to walk on by, to put a, put a coin or two in the purse. It would have been easy for them to go and to pull the man aside into a private place. A whole lot less embarrassment if it doesn't work, you know? But there's something about Pentecost that brings boldness out in you and I that we didn't think we possessed. All of a sudden, we believe. We don't, it's like, we have this power and this, this courage and this conviction. Let me look at this here. Um, verse 13, skip over to 4. So word gets out about this, by the way. Word gets out about this man who's being healed because it's such a public healing right there in the temple with hundreds if not thousands of people walking by. The temple is full of religious leaders who don't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. They're the ones who killed him. They don't like the disciples. And all of a sudden, they, the word gets out about this healing, and they arrest Peter and John, bring them before uh, the, 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 the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council. And they ask him about it. They say, by what power or what name did you do this? So they don't argue that it was done. You can't argue with, with, with evidence. Can't argue with a lame dude walking around now. Everybody's seen him. They can't say it didn't happen. All they can do is begin to squabble and, 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 and quibble over whose authority they did that under. And what they would love to say is, oh, we did this under the authority of the Torah, the authority of Moses. They would have preferred that because that keeps their power in place. But instead, they didn't say that. They said, it goes on to say, uh, you know, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to preach. You ask him a simple question. The priest says, oh, no, i got a sermon for you. And unpacks the sermon. He says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, guys. Remember that guy that you hung up? Remember that guy that you whipped, scourged, beat to, nearly beat to death? Remember that one that you made drag the cross all the way up and you nailed him up there and you laughed at him? That one right there, yeah. By the way, God raised him up from the dead. And he poured out his spirit on us, and he lives again, and we have a spirit, and we have his power, and we just cause this man to, to get up and walk again. Whom you crucify, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, is by the name of Jesus this man stands healed. Verse 13, here's where I'm going with this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I can just see these guys like gather, okay, all right, all right, let's huddle, let's huddle over here, come over here. All right, guys, are, are, you, are you sensing there's something really different about those two? Yeah, there's something really different about them. What kind of degree do they have? I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't really think they have a degree. I don't think they went to seminary. What do you mean they didn't go to seminary? Have you heard a sermon? Are you kidding me? They realize there's something different about him because of their encounter with Jesus. They have this boldness. And they release him, send him on their way. There's nothing else they can do. Guess what the believers do? They go back and they pray and they ask the Lord for what? Boldness. Lord, give us more. Give us more courage. Give us more boldness. Verse 29. I don't think that they're up on the screen. I'm just going to read them to you. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they begin to pray, begin to ask God, give us boldness. God, give us boldness. They've already had boldness, but they want more of it. They had boldness at Pentecost. They come bursting out of the room, just speaking in tongues and just doing all kinds of incredible things. They're doing miracles. We saw that in Acts chapter 3. You know, they're before the religious leaders of the day where just a few weeks before they would have been on the run for their lives. And now they're standing up and they're just going toe-to-toe with these religious leaders. And they go back and they ask God, give us more boldness. Holy moly, who does that? And guess what God does? God says, you want it? I'll give it to you. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. I thought they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. They were. They got it again. The place is shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God loves it when we ask to be made bold. God's going to do it. I think that's one of the keys of of releasing the presence is that we are willing to walk in boldness. We are hungry for the Lord to to make us bold. And we're willing to step out and we're willing to practice that. that's, that's, That's number five, walk in boldness. Here's the sixth one. We're almost done, you guys. Bear with me here. Witness number six. Um, six, The sixth principle is to witness the spontaneous kingdom expansion. And number six really is the result of the first five. That's not something that we do. We just get to watch it. We just get to see it in action. And the cool thing about the kingdom is it does expand spontaneously. We don't have to strategize. We don't have to plan and market and figure our way out how to expand the kingdom. We like to do that for our churches. We strategize and we market and we, you know, we, 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 we figure a way out to make our churches grow. We'll do this kind of campaign and that kind of campaign and all that stuff. Crazy thing about the kingdom is it never needed a strategy. It was always spontaneous. It was always just like fire spreading does fire plan how to spread? No, it just ignites whatever is hungry for flame. Number six is we witness this spontaneous kingdom expansion. We are not responsible for building his church. Y'all, we are not responsible for building his church. But growth and expansion is a natural result of manifesting a presence. Now, if you remember our mission statement, you may get a little confused. Because what's our mission statement? We exist to what? Honor Jesus Christ the King, and to what? Expand his kingdom in our community. You're thinking, well, how do we, I thought we can't expand this kingdom. Well, we really can't on our own. But if we commit to manifesting the presence, to hosting the presence, then his kingdom will expand in us and through us automatically every time. Growth and expansion is a natural result of manifesting the presence. So after Pentecost, Bible says about 3,000 were added to their number. That's a big jump from 100 or 120 or 150 or however many were there. That's a big jump. I don't know what we would do if we had 3,000 come in. Plant a church. church. Probably plant 10 churches. Make 10 of you stand up and take a church right now and go. After this miracle at the temple, hold up. Chapter 4, verse 4, they seize Peter, take him off to jail. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 
So Pentecost, power comes, sermon is given, 3,000 people respond. This miracle, another 2,000 respond. This is spontaneous kingdom expansion. The Bible says that more were being added to the number every day. You can't make this stuff up. You can't have a conference like this. You can't write a book. There's no substitute but the Holy Spirit. 514 says, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Let me hit all six for you real quick again. Principles of releasing the presence. Number one, live in community. Let's do this together. Let's commit together. Let's go deeper with one another. If you feel like you're not really connected into this church, take the initiative, push in. Invite some people over to your home. Go out to lunch after church today. Be intentional. Number two, cultivate attentiveness. Have eyes on the lookout. What what does the Lord want to do? And have a heart that's listening to what the Lord wants to do. Eyes that see and a heart that's saying, Lord, what do you want to do about this situation? What do you want to heal? What do you want to fix? Who do you want to encourage? Who do you want to bring bring a, a, a word of love to today? Who do you want to bless in your name? Cultivate that. Practice that. Practice listening to the Lord. Go out to lunch today. Go out to lunch tonight, this week. And just say, Lord, show me something that you want me to do. Show me where your heart is around me. Just begin to look out and watch what he does. Number three, practice generosity. I watched this awesome, awesome video from um, Dude with Dreads. Todd White. I love Todd White. Wish I had his hair. (laughs) Wish I had any hair. He tells a story going out to minister at a restaurant. You have to find this. I don't even know what it was. Ends up having an atheist who's a waitress. She gets mad because he says something like, God bless you. He gets mad, leaves. Her manager comes out. He's mad too because he's more of an atheist than she is. They're both mad at him. (laughs) Begins talking to him. Begins ministering to him. Todd gets a a word of knowledge for something that's going on. He tore his ACL. He got mad at God back in college because he tore his ACL and he couldn't do sports anymore. Got angry at the Lord. Todd knew that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, man, what's wrong with your ACL? And the guy looked at me all surprised. Todd prayed. The man's leg was, knee was healed. Just had a transformation. The thing that stuck out to me was this, though. They're leaving the table, and Todd makes this comment. He says, you know, we're about to leave a tip, and our, 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 our custom whenever we're going out is to, whatever the bill is, we leave that as a tip. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. You know, $50 bill, you leave a $50 tip. But that's, that's his lifestyle. That's what he does everywhere he goes. And not everybody can do that. But he wrote that, and he handed it to the waitress, and she got mad about it. She's like, you can't do this. It's like, why not? It's like, I've been a total jerk to you. You can't do this. That's just not fair. And Todd's like, well, I can do whatever I want. God loves you. I just want to bless you. She's like, what, what, what do you want from me? It's like, I don't want anything. I just want you to know that God loves you. I had this long conversation with this girl who, again, had been wounded and hurt by the Lord, was able to minister the healing presence of Jesus to her in her heart. Was it about the tip? No, but it was about a lifestyle of radical generosity. I want to be that way. I want us to be that way. 
Number three, uh, practice generosity. Number four, exercise authority. We proclaim impossible things because we are convinced of our own authority. You have it. Let's walk in it. Number five, walk in boldness. Walk in boldness. We are not driven by duty, but we are drawn by love. I want boldness for you, but I don't want it to be driven by a sense of duty and obligation and guilt. I don't want that for you, but I want that to be the love of God to be so compelling that it manifests itself in boldness to bring the kingdom about. This number five, number six, witness spontaneous kingdom expansion. As the spirit lives in us and is revealed through us, his kingdom expands around us. All right, Jamie, Jim, you guys come on up. As the spirit lives in us and is revealed through us, his kingdom expands around us. That's the formula for church growth. That's the formula for a meaningful Christian life. Walk in faithfulness to Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. Learn to hear his voice. Learn to say yes to him at any cost. Watch what he does. Amen? Come on, let's stand up together. I want to pray over you. We're going to minister here. We're going to worship. I want to pray. Um, I just want to release this over our church. I want to release it over you. I want to pray for a manifestation of the Spirit in you this week, if you'll receive it. If you need any prayer ministry today, this morning, come on down during our worship time and we'll pray over you. If you have a, a physical need that the Lord, you want the Lord to touch or to heal for yourself or someone else, we'll pray over you. But I do want to just pray a, a release, a greater release of God's manifest presence over this church and over you and your family. So would you just put your arms out? Can you just do this with me? Just put your hands out like this. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you made a way for the Spirit of God to live inside of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for abiding in us day after day after day. Lord, even when we fall, even when we mess up, God, you don't withdraw your Spirit from us. Lord, we just ask for an increase for more water from your well, more from the fountain of life. Pray you would fill us up to overflow this week. That we would be aware of this abiding presence every day, Lord. Lord we just pray, Lord, that spirit would also bubble up and overflow and manifest for the sake of the world around us. For your glory, God, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.